in the fifth part of a series that we've simply called white space. You go, well, I don't know what that means. Well, white space is an is a art term, a design term. And it's rooted in the concept of leaving part of the area untouched, whether it's a canvas or a, or a computer screen, if it's digital imagery, or any of those different things. And you've that Apple uses that a whole lot. That all you'll see is a nice little um, little ad for a little, you see an iPhone right in the middle, and they'll have one word like awesome or something, revolutionary, and then that's it, and that's the whole ad. Bunch of white space and their device and they what the whole point of it is to make room for the important what really matters to stand out and that's what the whole point of this series is for us to begin to kind of declutter life a little bit let's go ahead and jump into the notes see life can easily get cluttered with lots of important things things that seem important things that people on the outside would say are good and healthy and needful some of them we may even say that they're required that they're absolute necessities but that's not always the truth and these important things can easily crowd out what really matters and we've said it before and i'll say it again the enemy once we belong to christ he wants nothing more than to get us so wrapped up in the busyness of life that we don't spend any time cultivating our relationship with God we see this in relationships on this uh, on this planet we see it with marriages two different people get going on two different things their careers the kids the activities all this kind of stuff and they look up and they've not spent any quality time with each other in days and weeks and months oh my goodness sometimes even years can that go by and live under the same roof with the same assignment with the same group of people called the family and never cultivate real life that happens with us in our relationship with God entirely too much and so let's look at Psalms 127 Psalms 127 1 and 2 this is one of those Psalms one of the Psalms of ascent that's designed they're short easy to memorize and they're these get your mind reframed Psalms they would say them as they were ascending that's why they're a psalm of ascent as they're ascending the steps to the temple and they would quote these psalms and they would pick one of them that maybe was more pertinent to their heart and it would remind them of why they're going and it would reset things i guarantee i challenge you to read all the psalms of ascent there's about 11 of them and you can read them and read them with that mindset that these are designed to refocus us and let's look at this we're going to refocus this morning unless the lord builds the house it's builders labor in vain the builders are building but it's pointless unless the lord watches over the city the watchmen stand guard in vain they're standing guard they're doing it they're shivering in the cold but it's pointless in vain you rise early and you stay up late you're putting in the time you're punching the clock you're trying but it's not happening with any real quality you're toiling for food to eat and forgetting it says for he grants sleep to those he loves it is i tell you what we all could all would like a little more of that this morning and remembering that i love it that it says that all of this that 
entering God into the scene does not mean more work. So many times people say, man, I don't, I don't want to do this whole church thing. I don't want to do this whole God thing. It's just too much work. It's just too hard. There's all these things I've got to do. There's all of this stress. There's all of this. What this is reminding us is inviting God into the process actually creates a place of rest. It's not more work. If, you're, if, if being a Christian is too hard, you are doing it wrong. It is because it's a grace thing. It's a Him empowering us thing. It's not us trying to work something up to present it to Him to get His attention and go, God, look how awesome I'm trying to do stuff for you. He's like, you're overworking. Relax, chill out, be my kid. Let my Holy Spirit guide you and then rest when there's nothing I have for you to do and just chill. And sometimes that's just part of it is trusting Him. Any of you ever had a moment where it was harder to do nothing than it was to do something? Where God was asking you to relax and you so wanted to get your hands in the middle of that thing and try to fix it yourself and God was telling you to stop it and just trust Him? I know for me, those times are the hardest. It's like, God, give me the Herculean task. Give me the big thing you want me to attack. And then He says, no, just chill out. I'm going to do it. I'm like, oh. God, you're benching me? No, I'm not benching you. You can't do it anyways. I'm going to give you the stuff you can do. It's we have to get our minds wrapped around what this really, what this really looks like. And see, God will give us the wisdom, the wisdom, the wisdom to live a life that really matters. See, so many times we can get so excited and we get this new thing. We get this relationship with God, this something that our hearts have been craving and we do it. We're like, awesome, God, now I'm just, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to, I'm just going to fly along here and I'm just going to jump in the middle of this till I just tear something up. And so many times that's how we do it. Instead of just walking in this restful obedience to God. I grew up as a, um, as a, as a, as a kind of a, a chicken. I was, I was afraid to try things as a kid. So especially things that are physical. I've told you that I'm not athletic. And so everybody on my block was riding bikes. Everybody was riding a bike. No, they've been riding bikes since they were little. And I was 10 and did not know how to ride a bike. It's a little embarrassing when all the little four or five, six-year-olds are riding their bikes, going everywhere. And I would do the thing um, where I would, I would put my, get on the bike, put my feet on the ground, and just kind of do that thing where you just kind of push. And then I could sit there and, and do that. But, I, but to pedal and do all of that thing, my dad did the whole, I'm going to teach you, hold the back of the bike. He's there. I see he's not there. I freak out, crash, burn. It's an ugly mess. They've made movies about it. And um, anyways, and so I finally decide I'm going to ride a bike. I just decide that day I'm going to ride the bike. I jump on. The, the old school 1970-something style banana seat bike with the awesome thing. I'd pull the streamers out of the handles and, and uh, not really. Not really. It wasn't that girly, but it was close. I left the basket. Carry my stuff, buddy. Come on now. I was a mathlete. Those big calculators don't carry themselves. And so 
And uh, anyways, and so I, I jump on the bike and I take off and I learn, I figure it out. It all goes. I propel myself. I stop. I ride. I, it's awesome. Well, the thing is, like, this is, this is fantastic. I'm riding a bike and I couldn't wait to show my dad. But I'd known I'd kind of disappointed him a little bit, and I wanted to really take it to the next level, and everybody was jumping ramps. And I'm like, woohoo! Awesome! I've got this figured out! So I'd been riding bikes for about 45 minutes, and I go out, and I'm like, I'm gonna jump this ramp. Well, the problem is, is it takes just a little bit of courage to do it right, because you gotta get some speed up and go over. So I kind of halfway go over the ramp and do the loop. And go over, hit, go end over end, bust my head. I come in bleeding. And I, somebody needed to give me a little bit of, of wisdom in that moment. That just because I was sitting there and I could go, I was able to, to get things going. I wasn't ready quite yet for the next step. I needed somebody to give us some wisdom. The next steps in Christ, he leads us in those. Wisdom is about making decisions. Wisdom is about choosing life. We talk about it around here all the time. Where he says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose. Choose life. He points us to life over and over and over again. It changes everything. See, Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And he had an epic view, and it was awesome, and everybody was so excited because the house was beautiful and on the rock, and and, and, and he just, all of his days went perfectly because his house was built on the rock. Wait a minute, that's not what 25 says. 25 says, And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house wait a second God I did the wise thing I did the wise thing and the streams rose and the winds blew and they beaten up my house it says they beat against the house God I did the wise thing I did the harder thing I trekked up to the rock I lugged the lumber I did all of that and seriously I'm still getting beat by the wind Yes, that's the whole point of building on the rock. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Choosing to build our lives on Him is about having that place of security when the troubles of this world come, not building our lives in a cave to escape the troubles of this world. It's to overcome the troubles of this world because they will come. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and they beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. It's not like the foolish man who tried to live under the bush. Or the foolish man who strung a hammock between two trees and decided that he was going to live there. The guy built the house. He went and got the lumber. He put it together. When it was all said and done, it could still be described as a house. It, may, it very well may look just like the house on the rock. They may have used the same, all of that same stuff. But he built it on the beach. Right on the water. Right 
there on the water. And guess what? The winds blew and the rains came and the streams rose and it beat against the house just like the wise guy, just like the guy on the rock. The same storms, the same junk, the same stuff comes, but the end results are very different. It says the <clears throat> streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Didn't have a little foundation issue and made it hard to sell. Didn't have a little crack in it that made it not as pretty. It was ruined. It was destroyed. All of the efforts were for nothing. See, we build our lives knowing that in this world things are going to happen. And that when the streams rise, then the fact that we made those decisions, we don't shake our fist in God and say, why are the streams rising? We say, Heavenly Father, thank you that I built on your word and on your truth and the streams can rise and I'm still going to be okay. The guy in the rock makes a cup of coffee and lets the streams come and he rests because the Lord built the house. And in the storm, he gets some of the best sleep he ever had in his life. The guy on the deal, he's got buckets and he's trying to keep everything together and he's bungee cording everything and trying to hold his house and keep it from falling in the middle of it. He's freaked out. He's full of anxiety. The two people are in the exact same situation and one guy living in peace and another guy racked with fear and his world's falling down around him. We have to build our lives on the wisdom that God gives us. While we were traveling in uh, in 08, we uh, uh, went to uh, and spent some time in South Carolina. And there's a beautiful, beautiful beach that has all of these multi-million dollar beach homes on it. Multi-million dollar beach homes. We go on to look at them and just look at these beautiful houses. That night, we see this news deal on the local news as we're, as we're sitting there tuned in in our motorhome that... There is this lady doing this interview with these people who are about these houses that everything is, these houses are becoming more and more worthless. People won't buy them because they were built too close to the ocean. And you know what the name of that beach is called? People should have known before they even bought the first house. The name of the beach is called Folly Beach. Folly Beach, Foolishness Beach. And here are all of these people building multi-million dollar, epic three-story, kajillions of square footage homes that little by little, the ocean's coming to just carry them away, to just destroy them. Look beautiful on the outside, but it was foolish, foolish to do that. See, God wants us to go to Him for wisdom even when we made the problem of our own choices. So many times we don't have a problem going to God when we get blindsided and we're clueless. We're like, God, this came out of nowhere. I have no idea what the, this, why, this, why this wind is blowing, why this storm came down. I'm freaked out. God, give me some understanding here. I need some wisdom. I need to know how to deal with this. We come to God and we lean into him. But then there's other times where we're like, I know how I got here. 
I know where I turned wrong. I know this decision. I know where this was. And man, this is a natural outcome of the decisions I've made. And I guess I've just kind of got to lump it. No, we can come to God and He gives us wisdom even when we completely blew it and we dug our pit with our own hands. And He still gives us wisdom. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. He doesn't give you the lecture. He doesn't say, oh, now that you're in the pit, you want to come and ask big heavenly daddy. Hmm, well, you're going to listen to me for a minute. You're going to pay for the wisdom by listening to the lecture. And I want to see you grovel. I want to see you beg. I want to see you, I want, I want a whole bunch of I'm sorry's. And then if I'm pretty impressed with that, then I'm going to dole out a little bit of wisdom and get you out of this. No, it says he gives us wisdom without finding fault. Man, I tell you what, honestly, that's one of the hardest roles that I have as a dad. It's, it's tough for me to be at a, the kind of a man for my children that they can come to me when they've made a bad decision and go, Dad, I've done this. I need some wisdom. Help me and me not slip into what? How could you do that? We taught you better than that. What are you doing? And not give them the other piece. Give them the seriously. And I'm telling you, it's really hard on me. It's hard on me to not do that. And just give them the wisdom they're asking for. But our Heavenly Father is awesome at it. I'm, I'm pretty weak at it, honestly. And I want to be stronger here. But my Heavenly Father is good at it. And he's good at it for you too. See, the King James Version says that he abradeth thee not. Yeah, I know. What does that mean? That's why we don't read the King James Version here. <laughs> abradeth. Nobody says, uh, I'm, I will abradeth thee. I mean, that's getting all up in your business is what that is. That Greek, when you look at it, it means to taunt or to treat with disgrace. And you can come and be as honest as you possibly can. And God doesn't treat you with a disgrace. Go, oh, I can't believe you did this. You call yourself my kid. How could you have done this? He doesn't do that to us. See, wisdom is not reserved for the lucky few who are sitting there and trying to do everything right. It's there for all of us when we're, in, when we're absolutely messed up, jacked up. It's there for all of us. Wisdom is incredibly practical and available to every person. Some of y'all may have seen the, the news recently that there are people out walking their dog in their backyard find uh, 1,427 gold coins buried in little cans. And so it has a face value of $27,000. These are $1 gold pieces, $5 gold pieces, all these different denominations. And these gold coins... They're in like mint condition. And based on the fact that they're incredibly rare coins, that these are worth like $10 million, as the experts say, is what the news article is saying. These are worth $10 million. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. Man, somebody buried $27,000 in coins. 
and all of these years later, it's worth $10 million. Man, that's, that's just amazing. Well, they lucked out. They happen to be rare. Not all old coins are worth a ton. You can buy, you can buy a Roman coin that's 1,600 years old, and it's, you can buy one of those for 20 bucks. So it's not all old coins are worth all this money. It's not even the gold value. It's the fact that they're rare. And so this person lucked into it and just happened to do that. They happened to find it. There's $10 million. We do the math on this. We go back and we can look at the average return on the stock market. Since 1900, the last coin was buried in, in uh, 1894. The last coin was minted in 1894. So let's say they buried them in 1894. It's 120 years since that they were in the ground. 120 years. Okay, we look back and the, av- the stock market average return since 1900, which is pretty close to that, is 9.4%. If they had taken that and done basic investing with that $27,000 over 120 years, I told you, I didn't bore you yesterday. I told you you'd hear it today. And they've invested that $27,000 that anybody could have invested. Anybody. Didn't have to have access to stuff at 9.4% average return for 120 years. Would it be $10 million? No. Would it be $20 million? No. Would it be $100 million? No. Half a billion dollars? No. Just shy shy of $1 billion. One billion dollars. And that was accessible to anybody. Luck, any of that had nothing to do with it. It was just simple investing. Just simple investing. They're like, oh my gosh, this, this, you know, all these people who are wealthy and prosperous and do all this kind of stuff, man, they just got lucky because they had a good idea. Or they just got lucky because they got this or that or they have this talents. You know what? anybody, if they begin to just work a systematic thing and use a little bit of wisdom in their finances over the period of time, it makes a difference. It changes. Wisdom is available to us all, and it is life-altering. We don't have to rely on luck. We can look to God for wisdom, and we have to know what it looks like. Romans 3.17 is a beautiful picture. It paints us a picture of what wisdom looks like. You know, on the shows, you see the people, and they go to the airport to pick somebody up. They've got their little chauffeur hat, and they've got their little name on it because they have no idea what they look like, you know? And so they, they, they're sitting there, and they go, you know, Mr. Clark, sitting there, Mr. Clark. have no idea, so he comes up. Well, this is our picture. We're wanting to meet wisdom. We're wanting to get a hold of wisdom. It's coming our way, and this is our picture. This is what's written on our thing. This is what we're looking for. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then peace-loving and considerate. How many times did we go, man, God, I need to, I need a, I need to be a wise decision here in dealing with, with this situation. And go, hmm, what's considerate? The wisdom, I guarantee you, is going to be considerate. Submissive, full of mercy and good fruit and impartial. Wisdom takes us out of it and quit making our decisions simply based on what's best for me. If you're making a decision on what's best for you, it is not going to be rooted in wisdom. God's wisdom benefits everyone, and it's sincere. See, making room for wisdom means making room to be 
corrected. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems right at the time, but painful. No discipline. None of it. Not the little stuff. Man, why does my mic keep dropping out? Um, not the sweetest little sugar-coated way. Somebody can, can give you all sorts of compliments and build you up, and they give you one little place of correction, and man, what do you walk away with? That little sting of the correction. Like, oh man, what, how could he tell me that? How could he do that to me? No discipline seems right at the time, but painful. And later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, I'm going to warn you right now. I'm going to warn you right now, okay? All you moms in the room, you want to cover your kids' ears because I'm about to use the S word, okay? And so it's needful, it's purposeful. I'm going to have to use the S word for this next deal. And so, I, to, and so I, I just let, let you know that we were, at one point, we were out with uh, some friends, and uh, not some friends, some new acquaintances to the church, and they were, they were hanging out with us, and their little kids were playing, and one of them runs up, a little three-year-old runs up, and gets getting on to the other one, and says, uh, says, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. Um, and I don't even forget the, which family we were with. I just remember this, this interaction. And they said, Brother, Brother used the, he said the S word. Of course, these people are new to us, and we're pastors. And man, the lady's eyes just get huge. Like, here's my little kid using the S word for the pastor's kids. <laughs> She's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. What, what's the S word? She called me stupid. That's our S word. Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves Discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. The Bible says stupid. The Bible uses the S word. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be biblically stupid. And say, okay, let's look at the biblical definitions of stupid. Here we go. Hates correction. That's it. I'm telling you, and as our generations and, and our life moves forward, people are being less and less and less correctable. People are being less correctable. Teachers almost feel like their hands are tied because they can't be honest and, and address their students and correct them. And we can't make any real changes in lives. We can't really do it. Man, you get on to little Johnny, and their mom and dad are going to come get all up in that teacher's face. We have a, a, a spirit of not being correctable. It's not there. You look up in the, in the original language in Hebrew, you know what it means? Being stupid. That's why it uses the word stupid. Because if you hate correction, then you're stupid. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 7 through 17 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from your infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, 
correcting and training in righteousness. Now, this is, should be our attitude to the word. It's not that, ooh, I want to rebuke this person. I'm going to find me a scripture because the Bible is useful for cleaning their clock. No, that's not what this is saying. The saying is our attitude towards the scriptures needs to be that it's going to bring some correction. And it's going to speak to us. And it's going to rebuke us and train us in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know what stupidity cuts us off from? Something wonderful. Stupidity cuts us off from something really great. Wisdom is full-on carrying us into everything that's wonderful and good that God has for us. And stupidity is trying to rob us and pick our pockets every time. That's why Jesus has become wisdom for us. We have to be willing to embrace it and desire it, knowing that it's available to all of us. Not the high IQ people, not the really educated people, not the raised on the right family people, but to every person. It's available to all of us because of our relationship with God through Christ. See, as we seek to know God and to trust Him, our entire lives align around those things that matter most. See, even as we're connecting with small groups, those that are in the marriage class, they're looking for some wisdom and being able to deal with their marriage. Those that are in the parenting class are looking for some wisdom to be able to deal with their kids. Those that are in the financial peace, those are looking for some wisdom for that. Those that are power of your words are looking for some wisdom in their speech and to use their language better because we know that wisdom takes us to good. And the first place, the first moment of wisdom that any of us need is an awareness of where we are when we're outside of Christ. And that's that we desperately need Him. That we need a Savior and Jesus is Him. And this morning, if that's where you're at, if you're like, Brandon, I'm, I'm on the outside of this. I don't have a relationship with God. I don't understand this God thing. Well, guess what? It's not about joining a church and not about pledging to d- live by a certain code. It's about saying yes to Jesus as Savior. That He's the one that paid the penalty. That He's the one that's taking care of it. And now we're able to live a life freely <clears throat> in Christ, pursuing God. That's what this is about. So I would just appreciate if we can create a quiet moment here.